Tyson. Thanks for joining us inside the Writer's Cafe. Today we're talking about sexy cowboys as heroes, damsels in distress, and sizzling hot romance with romance writers Lori Wilde and Christy Craig. Our first guest is Lori Wilde. She's a best-selling author who's written more than 45 books. She's a member of the Romance Writers of America, and she's received numerous awards, including the Romantic Times Reviewer's Choice Award, the Holt Medallion, the Booksellers Best Award, as well as the National Reader's Choice Award. Lori's joining us today to talk about her latest novel, set in Jubilee, Texas, called The Cowboy and the Princess. Welcome, Lori. Thank you, Cheryl. It's great to be here. Well, it's always so much fun to talk to you because I enjoy your work so much, and I enjoy reading romances. I mean, I don't know if I fit the typical category or not, but I think they're so much fun to read because, for me, they allow me to just escape. And you've created a really fun world in The Cowboy and the Princess and in Jubilee, Texas. So let's, before I really start talking to you about the book, let's give the, the listeners just a little bit of an overview so that we won't leave them in the dust, as it were. Brady Talmadge is a horse whisperer, um, and he has five unbreakable rules for leading an uncomplicated life. And um, one of them is never pick up a hitchhiker. And by the end of the first chapter, he's broken all five rules. He picks up a, a hitchhiker um, on the side of the road. And she's a lovely, very wet young lady. Uh, yeah, she she's got her thumb out, and and he does he wants to resist, but she looks so pathetic. He pulls over, but he's only going to take her to the truck stop that he's headed towards. He's not going to take her on the road, or at least that's what he tells himself. And so he's broken his second rule already, which is avoid damsels in distress, because she's uh-huh. obviously. I mean, she's little. She's soaked. I mean, I just when I read that description in the book, I could just see her. She's just this tiny little person, and she's just like the proverbial drowned rat. Is that how you saw her when you wrote it? Yes, it was. That's one thing author has to uh, put herself in the um, character's shoes and see what they see, and so I, I had to be Brady's eyes when I wrote that scene. Well, it, this is a, a typical romance in that we have Brady Talmadge, who is the tall, broad-shouldered, sexy cowboy horse whisperer but his background is a little sketchy he didn't grow up in an easy situation tell me a little bit about the character of brady um actually brady is uh, based on real horse whisperer buck brenham and um when i was researching horse whispers and i came across buck i realized that um Buck had grown up very abused, and that was why he was able to calm um, horses that had been abused, uh, because he understood what they were going through. So I thought, well, my horse whisperer has, has suffered similar things. So um, Brady did grow up a hard life, and um, but that is what gave him his talent, part of what gave him his talent of working with horses. It's almost an innate ability that he has, isn't it? Uh-huh. Almost immediately, he's drawn to the horses, and the horses, he calms the horses almost immediately, and he doesn't really know how he does it other than there's an inner gentleness to him that the horses sense. I love the character of Brady, but he sort of meets his match in this hitchhiker. Now, she tells him, 
that her name is Annie Cost, but she's not like anybody he's ever met before. She's very, very unique. Tell me a little bit about Annie. Well, Annie is a runaway princess who has disguised herself in order to live the life of a a cowgirl before she has to go back and and enter into a arranged marriage. I love her character because she's I don't know how you you got inside her head, Lori, because she's so um the way that she phrases things, the way that she looks at things. It has a, a certain naivete about it that I just adored because it was so unexpected, I think. And that's one of the – you do such a nice job with your characters, and she is such an appealing character. How did you write that naivete? I mean, she sounds like she's just so young and fresh and, and wet behind the ears, as it were. Well, I, I imagine when, whenever I write a character, I imagine that I am that character. It's like sort of like method acting where I, I become that person. And during the course of writing the book, I use various triggers to remind me of how that person would act or think. Um, and sometimes, you know, in editing, you, you'll read your book and you think, oh, that's not really how that character would act or, or what they would say. And you have to go back and, and make sure that you're being that person and looking at the world the way they would look at it. So I'm thinking, okay, what would I say? How would I act if I'd been raised among royalty? And so then you have to do some research about um, royalty, if that's if that's the character you're writing about, and and uh, understand the world they come or try to understand the world they come from. You can't completely do it because you you can't completely be that person, but you try to get as close as you can. You write great romantic scenes between the characters. All of your books, you write really hot romantic scenes. <laughs> That's because you can put yourself in the role of those characters so easily. Um, well, I answer this, Lori. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, almost all all women are romantics to some degree. I mean, we've all been sixteen and had that first crush, and and you you put yourself there and you think about what situation had happened to you in your life and then you you go back to those um initial falling in love scenes the first time you fell in love the first time you you know had a kiss and you, and you remember that and that's one nice thing about being a writer is that um especially a romance writer is that you get to think about love all day oh that's a great answer that's a great answer and it didn't even sound rehearsed good job <laughs> You have this story unfold. I mean, it, it's it's exactly what we expect from a romance novel, but at the same time, it's not. Because Annie is not who she appears to be, she just appears to be somebody who's a runaway. And in all of his wildest dreams, Brady would never realize or think about her being a princess. But she's very refined and She's dyed her hair. It was really blonde and very long, and she's dyed her hair, and it's all spiky black. And So he knows that she's in trouble, but she won't tell him what's going on because she's really afraid that he'll send her back, that he won't like her, and she's just looking for a little adventure. And when she sees him, she thinks, oh, this is a perfect cowboy for my adventure because she has this this romantic ideal about cowboys and how 
wonderful they are and about how romantic they are. And Brady just seems to, I mean, if she'd sent down to Central Casting and said, send me a cowboy, here comes Brady. And he's perfect for her imagination. Yeah, he just seems to appear just right when she, right what she's looking for. So she kind of latches on to him because she is kind of out there in the world on her own and she's never been on her own. So uh, when this uh, fantasy guy appears, boy, she, she wants to hang on for a ride and go for this adventure with him. But she knows it's going to end. She knows she has to go back and marry this uh, other guy that she's uh, in a prearranged marriage with. So she wants to have as much fun as she can as quickly as possible. And, man, he's... Straight, straight up what she was fantasizing about. <laughs> and she wants no, I mean, she thinks there can be no strings. This is going to end. It's only a finite amount of time. And, of course, she's a princess. Now, she's in the United States for the wedding of the daughter of a former president. They've gotten to know one another because her dad was a president and because she's royalty. And the president spent time in her country, and his daughter came with him. And so they became fast friends. And so she's invited to the wedding. And so that's how she got in Texas. I thought that was a really good way to get her here, by the way. Well, it took me a while to come up with that one. Cause that's I'm a thinking, good one. Well, <laughs> I'm thinking, well, how could she be in the U.S.? <laughs> yep. And not with all that, you know, it, it took a while to come up with that one. <laughs> well, of course, you have to think. George Bush. I mean, that's just, <laughs> that just has that, to come that's exactly what I was thinking. I was thinking, oh, she could like come visit Jenna Bush. <laughs> exactly, and that that gives it, especially since you said it in Texas, that gives it a real smack of reality. And the Jenna Bush character actually helps her because Annie is so miserable, and she really is not all excited about this guy that she's been betrothed to. I mean, he's he's not all that attractive, and he's, you know, it's one of those arranged marriages. So there's no real love, and I'm using air quotes here when I say that word. There's no real love between them. They like each other okay, but there's no real spark, not like there is with Brady. Yeah, I was kind of channeling Prince Charles and uh, Die at that point. <laughs> oh, that's good, Yeah. <laughs> See, that's one of the things that I think you do so very well is the research and how you choose to put your your setting together, how you choose to put your books together. You're a Texan. You've lived here all your life. You've grown up around cowboys. So, of course, your cowboys always really feel real. Your setting feels real. Jubilee, Texas is actually another Texas town that you've renamed Jubilee, Texas. And you always pull characters. I love this about the series. You pull characters from other novels and pull them forward so that we can see what happens. For example, Joe Daniels, who is a character that we met in The Cowboy Takes a Bride. He has a stallion named Miracle, and you have Miracle be in a terrible, terrible accident. And Joe Daniels happens to be a really good friend of Brady Talmadge. Brady's a horse whisperer. So, of course, who does Joe go to to try to heal his horse? Yeah, it was kind of, it, even bringing uh, Joe forward in Miracle, it kind of was hurt my heart to make Miracle, miracle in an accident. Because <laughs> he was such a great horse in the previous book. And I was like, oh, no, poor Miracle. <laughs> oh, I love it. 
You know, that's the other thing about talking with fiction writers. You get so attached to your characters, whether they're animal characters or whether they're human <laughs> characters, don't you? Oh, yes, yeah, you, because you live with them the whole time you're writing the book, and, and because you have to put, or at least that's the way I work, I put myself into the character, and I see the world through their eyes, so I feel what they're supposed to be feeling, and that's how I put it on the page. So you do invest your emotions in every book that you write. You always make small-town Texas, Jubilee to be exact, in, in this novel particularly. You make it sound so inviting and so wonderful because Annie comes in. Now, granted, she's with Brady, and everybody in town knows Brady. But she comes into town, an unknown entity, unknown person. People take her in. They they nurture her. They become her friends. They want to do things for her. Joe's wife gives her a job. I mean, you make Texas sound very, in, I think they should pay you, by the way, the, the <laughs> Texas Convention and Visitors Bureau, because you make it sound so inviting and you make it sound like it's such a great place to be. And I think that's part of what I like about the book, because I'm a Texan, too. Yeah, I'm, I'm a Texas net, born and bred, and I'm a country girl, so I, small towns fit just fine with me. And I, of course, highlight the best of small towns. When you're writing, you know, romance fiction, you do, you know, put on the rose-colored glasses and look at the best part of living in a small town. Well, I loved it that you brought in the old movie, Roman Holiday. Annie has seen this movie, and that's really what sparked all of this interest in the United States and in running away because the Audrey Hepburn character in that movie does exactly that. She runs away and has a little fling before she has to get married. I thought that was well, cool. Well, I had seen Roman Holiday myself. I'd never seen it. And then um, when I had the idea of a princess character, I thought, well, I'm going to watch the movie. So I turned on Roman Holiday, and as I was watching it, I was just completely charmed. But then at the ending, you know, they, they don't end up together. And I said, I need to redo this story as a romance, <laughs> which in a romance, they always end up happily ever after. <laughs> yes, yes. And I don't want to spoil any more of the the cowboy and the princess because it is such a fun escape read. When I start reading your novels, I just sort of feel like I have jumped into a cool pond. It, it allows me to escape, and it's a wonderful stress management tool because you paint this great picture, hot sex, gorgeous characters. It's a wonderful full canvas. And being the visual person that I am, you paint such great canvas that, boy, I'm right there with you. And it's fun for me to do that. So thank you for the way that you write, Lori. Well, thank you, Cheryl. That's a great compliment. Well, it's true. And our time is coming to an end, and I'm sure that we, hopefully, we have tickled the interest of our listeners to find out more about The Cowboy and the Princess. But if they want to know more about you and about other books that you've written, I know you have a big presence online and in social media, so tell our listeners how they can find you. Um, I'm at LoriWild.com. Uh, that's my um uh, website and you better spell that Lori Wild. Oh, sorry, L O R I W I L D E. Okay, 
And what about and on Facebook and Twitter? I'm on Facebook and Twitter, and just you know, put Lori Wild in there for the, on the search. And um, I'm also on Pinterest. So come over to Pinterest, actually, and you can see the collages of my books. Oh, that's a great idea. You're putting up the collages? Uh-huh. That's one of the pieces of your process that I find is so interesting. Um, Lori puts together collages when she's writing her books. Tell me a little bit about those. I know a little bit, but not, not very much. Um, I put together pictures, visuals of uh, what I think the characters look like, what the settings, like if they go on a picnic, I'll put a pretty picnic scene. If they have dogs, I'll put dogs in the book. Um, whatever's in the book that triggers my um, visual creativity, I will make a collage of it, and I look at it as I write the book because that helps put me into that world. I'm so glad you're sharing that and that the, the listeners could go to your website or go to Pinterest and see that because I think that's a great idea. Lori, thank you so much for being our guest today. It's always so much fun to talk to you. Thanks. You're listening to Inside the Writer's Cafe, brought to you on webtalkradio.net. Our next guest is Christy Craig. Christy is an award-winning author and a published photojournalist. Her nonfiction articles and photography have appeared in almost 3,000 national magazines. A Golden Heart finalist and a member of the Romance Writers of America, she's gained a well-deserved reputation for writing romance fiction that is witty, suspenseful, and sexy. In addition, Christy also writes nonfiction and a young adult paranormal romance series. She's joining us today to talk about her Western book, Blame It on Texas. Christy, welcome. Thank you, Cheryl. I, I'm a pleasure being here. Oh, it, I've, the book is so much fun. Before we really start to talk, I have to watch myself because I love talking to the authors so much. I have to make sure that we give our listeners a little bit of an overview before I jump in and start asking questions. So would you tell them a little bit about what Blame It on Texas is all about? Well, Blame It on Texas is actually the second book in my series called Hotter in Texas. And... Um, the story uh, revolves around three guys. They were cops, and they were framed for murder. They actually were tried and convicted and went to jail. So they actually spent uh, 16 months in jail before they were exonerated. So they get out and decide to open up their own PI agency to help kind of um, help others in the same situation as them. And so Tyler is my second hero, and the story kind of uh, goes around. Each In each story, my hero meets a, a girl that's kind of in trouble and needs their help, and Zoe Adams is one of those girls, and she is originally, she is from Alabama, and so she has just watched a show on TV, and she actually sees a picture of herself, and they claim that this child was kidnapped. And Zoe has had these memories and nightmares. And so she learns that this child that looks identical to her, sort of like seeing your picture on a milk carton, I guess, um, and she's, you know, curious about, you know, she's supposed to come from, have come from this Texas millionaire family. So she packs up everything, and the only thing that really matters to her, which is her handicapped cat, and she heads off to Texas. Uh, and there she ends up in the lap of Tyler Lopez, which he is one of the PIs. So it's Tyler and Zoe's story, and it is. It's got a it's got a great mystery because 
Zoe's trying to discover if she could be this missing child. I and loved it. Did you get the idea for this from an actual newspaper? I mean, it just reads like headlines out of a newspaper, you know, uh, missing Texas heiress. I mean, I could just see that in my mind. Well, um, I actually saw a show about a cop who had been framed for something that he didn't do. And it hit me, it was like, whoa, what would happen to a cop if he was framed and was actually convicted? I mean, how wounded would he be if he actually went to jail for something he didn't do? And so that got me thinking, because as you know, we love our wounded heroes. We do. Um, We want them to have something to overcome. And so all three of these guys have something to overcome, and Tyler especially. So he, I did see it in the paper, and that's where ideas spark. I, I tell people I can get ideas from just about anywhere. I mean, I can look out the window and see my neighbor out there looking in the garbage can real close, and I'm thinking, <laughs> what is he looking at? You know, did somebody drop a body in there? You know, <laughs> that imagination never stops. Yeah, but that's good. That's why you're a really excellent writer. And this book is a romance, but you weave this mystery all the way through it because somebody starts taking pot shots at Zoe, and she has no idea. She starts getting these weird phone calls, and she she knows nobody else in town, and all of a sudden she's getting phone calls threatening her life, and the next thing she knows, somebody's shooting at her, and it's just crazy, and she's going, wait a minute, what's happening? And so she feels like her life is just sort of spinning out of control, and she meets Tyler. And by the way, I love the fact that you named the brothers, the three Lopez brothers, Tyler, Austin, and Dallas. I thought that was just great. Well, I wanted to give them that Texas flair, and I couldn't think about a better way to do that than to name them after state. So they um, – and, and there is that mystery in there. As a matter of fact, you know, sometimes when I write – it, the romance seems to take the lead on some books. And in this book, although there's definitely the romance there, that mystery just captivated me. It kept me up late writing the story because I would be so intrigued um, by how how I was going to have the answer come out and uh, the discoveries. And I just, you know, I really enjoyed um writing it because the mystery intrigued me. And I, you know, I I tell people it's an identity crisis, you know, and what bigger identity crisis than than really suddenly realizing you don't know who you are. The parents who raised you and you thought loved you are now deceased. Could they have lied to you all that time? Yeah. And so it was was a journey for for Zoe to uh, uncover who she is. And And we have to talk about... You mentioned that when Zoe packs up and comes to Miller, Texas, that she brings the only thing she really cares about, and that's her handicapped cat. Describe this wonderful animal character for our listeners, because he became one of my absolute favorite characters in the novel. Well, Lucky is a cat that he actually um, belonged to someone who owned a business. And the business, there was actually an explosion in the business. And the cat was found a day later when they were actually putting out the uh, the fireman was there to make sure the fire was all the way out. And the cat was still alive. And he was in really bad shape. But 
finding this animal that had survived and had, you know, the fire and the explosion and was still alive, I mean, you know, it was it was shocking. And so they ended up taking the animal to the vet and, you know, the choice was maybe to put it to sleep, but immediately because the news were there, the news media was there, and it suddenly become this story, this, this cat that refused to die. And... I saw my heroine as someone at that time that had lost her mother, her boyfriend had left her, and she had no one and was struggling to survive. And here this cat was that was also struggling. And so she immediately called the vet to check on the animal. And she was one of many that that helped actually said, we will pay for the treatment of this cat. Do not put the cat down. If it's got that will to live, let it live. And so that was, to me, that defined Zoe's personality, that she would go that far to help a cat. And so she called him lucky because she was actually, of all the people that helped pay the vet bills, she was the one chosen to actually bring Lucky home. And he's a three-legged cat. He is scarred something awful. He only has one eye. And he's not very pretty to look at, but yet Zoe just absolutely adores this cat. And, and his courage, and uh, she needed a little courage to do what she did. So he kind of is her inspiration in a way. Well, he's a great character, and he goes all the way through the book, and he's sort of a, a truthometer for her in a way because yes. he he sort of looks at people and he sizes people up, and, and some people he'll have nothing to do with and others you're surprised, and he goes and does his circle eights, you know, his figure eights through their right. legs. You're, you always include animal characters in your novels. Why do you do that? Well, I'm a firm believer that animals make us better humans. Me too. And, uh, you know, amazingly, I learned years ago, and it was actually on, a, on both my husband and my daughter was on a jury case, and they both came home with very similar stories about how everyone in the jury was finding this person, you know, too many of them were divided whether he was guilty or not guilty. And in both cases, uh, there was animal cruelty brought up by this person. And both my daughter and my husband's case, which were completely separate and about a year apart, immediately everyone in the room claimed they were guilty then. Because if you could hurt an innocent animal how much more likely you could hurt a human being. Right, I agree. And so that emotion to me said that when someone is bad, if you want to show someone that's bad, show them mean to a cat. If you want to show someone that is good, show them good to a cat or an animal. And so immediately I picked up on that characteristic ability that you can immediately make someone more sympathetic because as writers that's what we want we want to write these characters that people fall in love with and how much greater to make it an animal that's sort of hard to love you know one that's always that it's hard to potty house train or one that's you know um anything that's hard to love and uh and make someone love them then immediately your heart warms to that person I think that's a stroke of genius, Christy, because I agree with you. And we all are so fond of our own animals. You know, I read about Lucky, and then there's a funny little kitten in the story that actually 
um, Tyler rescued that's named Damien, and when I read that, I just chuckled out loud because I thought, this is a little kitty cat who gets in trouble all the time. And then there's this wonderful dog. And you've you've given some really interesting touches to the only in Texas detective agency. They bought a funeral home to set up their <laughs> their business in. And when you walk in their front door, there's a casket mounted on the wall, and the dog sleeps in the casket. And it it is you know I wanted this this place to have this kind of a. Um, I don't know, a different feel. And because I write humor a lot, I always look for it a little bit bizarre. And I thought, well, now they're going to have to buy something, uh, some kind of business. So what kind of business could it have been that could have leave, left its mark on this place? And immediately I thought about, oh, I know a funeral home. And um, so it worked out well, I felt like. And, and everyone, every book, you know, starts out with someone walking in, eventually into the into the detective agency and there's the coffin and so it's sort of like whoa and they actually wanted to get rid of the coffin at first it it was there left from the original owners and they would not come pick it up so eventually they decided it's too late and they you know people would end up calling the business and saying are you the detective agency with the coffin in the front and so it became sort of their trademark and I thought so they, that was I thought that was great I just love it it's, uh, it, it brings in the humor in it. I know in uh, actually there is some place in Texas there is a funeral home, a small town that used to be a pizza hut, and I just laugh at the idea of you know having a funeral home once have been a pizza hut. So I, I love just mixing things up every now and then. Well, let's talk a little bit about the Bradford family. We we love Tyler, we love Zoe, we're upset that somebody's trying to kill her when all she's trying to do is find out information about her family. And you also show us the Bradfords, and they're just not very nice. Now, Thomas Bradford is the patriarch, right? Right. And he's dying of cancer, and the 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 child that was taken and that's presumed dead is named Caroline Bradford. Right. And he just is not very nice he's paranoid about everything and he's got all of these security men around him and nobody can get to him and zoe is just trying to find out some information and it's like they just push her away so that she can't find it so she can't discover anything they're afraid that somebody's going to want all the money because thomas bradford is dying and i thought that was so appropriate to make that family such a contrast to who Zoe really is and to who Tyler really is. I thought that really makes a nice contrast in the book. Well, I think, you know, I'm a firm believer, and I think they say all writers have themes in our book, and a lot of times we repeat those themes over and over again. And I do see a, a theme that appears regular in mine, and that is that our destinies are our own. We are not a product uh, and do not need to, to make the same mistakes as our parents. And I really wanted to show that, that here Zoe had this heart, and she just wanted to be loved. She lost all the family she had, and, and in a way she was really just looking for 
you know, and there's this hope that she might be this missing heiress, and she wants to know, and she's not looking for money. She's just wanting answers and right. and maybe someone that will call her her own family again. And they were cold, and I tried to explain that because I didn't really want them to just, you know, you can't just make someone evil no more than you can just make them crazy uh, in fiction. It, it, you know, in life you can meet somebody like that, but in fiction you better have an, a reason for them to be the way they are. And I wanted to show that this family had lost so much, starting, you know, with uh, Bradford had lost his wife and then, he lost, um, you know, the child for under a kidnapping, and then he had lost uh, his son, and actually Zoe's mother had uh, died in a plane crash right afterwards. They had lost so much that it just, they had money, and it became easy to become bitter and paranoid because you could pay for that kind of protection. Good. And so I wanted to show that, you know, down deep they weren't all bad, but they had just had some really hard times. And life had made them a little bitter, and I wanted to show this. Um, and I think there's lessons, um, and one of the lessons I tell people that Blame It on Texas is that sometimes our best family is not those that are blood, but those that we choose. Oh, good. And that was what I think Zoe found with Tyler and all his friends was that she did find a family in Texas. It may not be the one that she went there looking for, but she did find a family. And Cookie's Cafe. I love the cast in Cookie's Cafe, too. Haven't we could you sit been here. There? I mean, haven't you been in a diner just like that? Oh, I have. And if that anyone was what I wanted to create was this this little piece of, of heaven that, that um, and that was Zoe's, actually the, Zoe walked in and, and she felt comfortable around these, uh, because she is from Alabama, and this is a small town, Texas, and you've got this little cafe and diner that just, and she just walked in and felt comfortable and at home. And there were a lot of zany characters there, I admit, but I, I, I love writing those zany, quirky characters. And yeah, but they enrich fun. the novel, and this novel is really, really fun, and it's a great escape to read. Now, our listeners are probably intrigued by the fact that we talked about not only do you write romance fiction, but that you also have got a paranormal young adult romance series. So they may want to know more about you. They may want to know more about the kinds of things that you write. So how can they do that, Christy? Well, you can go to my website, which is www.christy-craig.com, and it's spelled C H R I S. T-I-E, with the hyphen, C-R-A-I-G. And you can go there, and there is a link actually there that you can go to my other webpage, which I write under Cece Hunter. And it is uh, it recently hit the New York Times, and it became an international bestseller in Germany and France. Yay, so congratulations. Series. I, I, uh, I love writing... Um, I really love stretching myself as a writer, and writing the young adult was was a real stretch because I had written uh, six um, novels uh, in the romance genre, and so I was comfortable there. I kind of knew what I was doing, and when they approached me to write a young adult, it was it was a little scary, but I loved doing it, and so I loved stretching myself. So you can find out information on my website. I am also on Facebook. I am on Twitter, and so you can find all about me there. 
and I encourage everyone just to, to go out and try it and uh, enjoy the book. Well, we want to thank you for being with us today on Inside the Writer's Cafe. It's always such a pleasure to talk with you and with Lori Wilde. And we want to thank our listeners also for being with us today, and we want to remind you that before you listen to us next time, remember to pick up a good book and read.